Okay, what did I just watch? What did I just watch? You've heard me be critical in the past a little bit. Like, I believe in being critical. I do not believe in slamming movies or dragging movies through the mud. But there are rare occasions where it just needs to happen. Like, there's nothing to do but take out your anger on the movie like it's a punching bag. And in the case of, of Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, the theatrical version, I didn't see the producer's cut, that happens to be the case. What did I just watch? What did I just watch? Oh my lord, do I have notes, man. Do I have notes? This film, you know, I I, I did a review of Halloween Kills. Go check that out. It, it was a live stream, very long review, very convoluted. But, you know, I talked about how like, you know, Halloween to me, and again, Halloween's not sacred to me at all. It's just, I, I enjoy it, whatever, but it's not, it's not my series. It's not, Scream is my series. Halloween is such a one note concept. The boogeyman, the shape. It's, you do it once, twice, three times a lady. That's it. You know what I mean? It's just like, it goes on and on and on. They trying to find every which way to squeeze blood from a stone with this story. You know, going through this convoluted, like family bloodline, you know? I just, it really, it really is nuts. Oh boy, I, I did a lot of writing while watching this movie. A lot of writing, a lot of observations. I just, I don't, I think it's, we have to acknowledge that there is a producer's cut, which I have not seen. This was the first time ever watching it. I've seen bits and pieces, I think on TBS, uh, uh, like when I was young, and that was about it. It's the only Halloween film I've not seen. So I finally finished off the entire Halloween series. I've seen every single Halloween film now in its entirety. And I just cannot believe this is uh, also this. This should be like uh, you know taught in schools, you know about how studios and producers and directors tamper with an idea and with a vision, and you wind up with something like this, a something that was so clearly, endlessly rewritten and heavily edited, and just cut to ribbons, cut to shit, man. I mean, truly. But let's just launch into it. So the last thing I remembered from, from Halloween part five, right? Uh, Jamie, who is Laurie Strode's daughter, played by Danielle Harris. She's in four and five. She she gets taken. She and Michael Myers get taken. There's an explosion. Someone rescues Michael Myers out of a cell or something. I don't This was a year ago. I watched, I watched it for the first time a year ago. That's it. So I guess some time, indeterminate amount of time, which I later read in IMDb is supposed to be six years, indeterminate amount of time, and we're suddenly in a facility. We don't know where this facility is. They're doing some sort of like Celtic, you know, Samhain-like like ritual thing with a baby, and the baby is naked, and you see naked baby peen. I mean, just full frontal naked baby peen, and it's just kind of like... I, I guess, you know, there, there's lots of movies with naked baby peen, but like in today's day and age, it's just kind of amazing to think that someone was like, here, take my naked baby and <laughs> draw, you know, draw 
paint, you know, put paint on it and then wave a knife around my naked, <laughs> my naked child, my naked son. I mean, that's, that's heavy. We were talking about how it was heavy for Spencer or whatever, the Nirvana baby, you know, who's dealing with all sorts of like, um, you know, fallout from being the Nirvana baby or whatever. Like this has got to be, I mean, this is, this is, this is heavy. This is a heavy thing. So that happens. So, okay. Naked baby peen. It's like, Hey, let's write a scene with some naked baby peen. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the other thought is Jamie is a mom now. Like who, who got her pregnant? None of this is explained. Nothing is explained in this film. You just have to roll with it. So she's all of a sudden she's a mother and it's just this crazy, crazy time jump. She escapes from this facility. She runs, runs, runs. She, um, you know, uh, gets eventually caught, uh, Michael catches up with her and kills her, but not before she stashes her baby in a bus station bathroom. Right. Uh, and then there's also this, there's like a radio guy and he's talking, he's got a show, his name's Barry. And apparently the, the holiday of Halloween has been banned in Haddonfield. And I love that idea. I think that is a brilliant idea. I wish that it was the center focus of the story you know, or any of the Myers, like any of the Myers story, you know what I mean? Like, or any of the Halloween story, it's just clean and simple. You know what it kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of reopening, uh, the beach, you know, when you have jaws in the water, you know, and we, the economy like Haddonfield is, is hurting from their, uh, you know, for whatever reason. So they decide to reopen, they lift the ban on Halloween. They reopen the town, with a brand new sort of like Halloween PR campaign. And of course, Michael Myers returns once Halloween returns. You know, like that would have been such an interesting focus and controversy. And it's just kind of like, it's in this story, but it's like kind of forgotten. Like everything else, everything just gets forgotten or never brought up again. It, it really is. It, this is really something else, this movie. I know I keep saying that. This is really something else. Um. Then there's, you also have a woman who calls into the radio show and she's in love with Michael, which I also thought was an interesting touch. Again, like all these like little like flourishes that are far more interesting than the movie that we're watching. And then, you know, we meet Paul Rudd who plays Tommy Doyle from the first movie. And he's also played by Anthony Michael Hall in Halloween Kills. And apparently um, the guy who originally played Tommy Doyle in the first Halloween was supposed to come back for Halloween 6 and or they wanted him to come back and they couldn't find him and the dude since wishes that he had done it. But in any case, we get Paul Rudd. It's his first film. It's so cool to see such a young Paul Rudd and he's taking pictures through the window at this scantily clad lady in her in her underwear and it's just super creepy and never explained. I guess he's just he's casing the house. He lives in a boarding house across the street from the Myers house. Don't you think it would be like, like unexplained, completely unexplained? Why are you living in a boarding house and why is it across the street from the Myers house? Like super super weird, but whatever. Uh then you hear on the radio that there's a CIA conspiracy that wanted to take Michael Myers as an assassin. Like every one of these ideas is kind of an interesting idea to like sort of riff on the Halloween thing. But no, they don't actually use any of them. They just sort of throw them out there and whatever. Then we see Loomis, he's using a typewriter and he lives in an old cobblestone house. And of course Loomis would use a typewriter because, you know, he's an old guy just doing his thing. Um when when Michael kills Jamie, it's really mean. It's a really mean death. It's like, she's a new mom. She just had this baby because it shows her giving birth in this unknown facility where there's this cult stuff happening. 
she she gives birth to this baby and then escapes with the baby, right? Who's later gets named Stephen. We'll just call him Stephen now. Stephen, Stephen, Stephen. Uh, Stephen is, you know, Stephen gets like kind of adopted by Tommy Doyle. And, you know, this, this movie is being made into, oh, one other thing too. Michael mistakenly thinks that a, a roll of paper towels is the baby because she, she, she stashed, she tricked him. She tricked him. She left the baby at the, in the bus stop bathroom, as we said, and then she stashed a paper towel in the wrap blanket. So Michael gets fooled. I thought that was funny. This is a weird in between time in the 90s. You have like the early 90s, which, you know, can feel very much like the late 80s, right? Because that's how things work, things bleed through. But then, you know, it's right on the cusp. It's right before the teen slasher, horror teen, whatever you want to call it, the 90s renaissance for horror that was led by companies like Dimension. You know what I mean? We're like right on the precipice. And of course, the next sequel is going to be one of those movies written by Kevin Williamson. It's gonna be H2O, a true return to form for the series. And in my opinion, the best Michael Myers related sequel bar none. But we're not there yet. So we get this really weird time. The the dad, and, and I didn't realize this until a little bit in, the, the, the family, the Strode family that adopted Laurie Strode because of what happened when she was a baby with her family, with her brother killing her sister, they adopted Lori, raised her, she disappears or dies or whatever happens in Halloween 4. They then move into the Myers house. They are somehow owners of the house. And the the father is just a bastard. He's an, what an asshole. He's an asshole to everybody, especially his daughter named Kara who is the stepsister, I get, not the stepsister, the adopted sister of Laurie Strode herself, right? So Laurie Strode has an adopted brother, an adopted sister, and that si and her sister has a kid named Danny. Danny is her adopted nephew, I guess, or whatever, his nephew, Laurie Strode's nephew. Now, what's interesting is, and I read when I was reading the trivia, it, uh, there's a fan theory. It's alluded to that that the father, that that... Kara's father, the Mr. Strode, uh, is the father of her baby. And that's why she left. She left for five years and now she's come back to live at home. She's going to college. Although I didn't know that because she looks so old. She looks too old to be a college student. Her brother looks way younger. I thought her brother was in college, the uncle of Danny, the, the, the blood uncle of Danny. And I thought she was just like going back to school. But I guess, no, she is, this is her first swing at college and she is super young that she must have left home at 14 and gotten pregnated and we don't know why or how or who or what and the father is just in front of the his grandchild's face he calls the kid a bastard and so it's alluded that he is actually the father and that's why she left home and it kind of works it works for me i accept it i accept it as reality the kid danny he is an incest baby that's what uh, that that is what i have come to uh, except uh, in regards to this. But the, God, the dad is just an asshole. And you're like, you know the dad's going to get it. And I can't wait for him to get it. He smacks his daughter on the face. She gets a bloody nose right in front of everybody too. In front of the brother, in front of the son. Just really, really not nice. And then Danny, the kid, puts a knife to his grandpa's belly. So like we're getting like this, I, there's like this idea that Danny is going to follow in Michael Myers' footsteps. 
Of course, that's not the case because that never happens. Like, <laughs> it never happens. It just, it just disappears. Like, the whole thing just disappears. Whatever. In any case, um, it's just interesting that the Strodes are living in the Myers house. Who thought that was a good idea? Who thought that was a good idea? And like I said, I, I couldn't believe that these two were cast as brother and sister because she looks about six or seven years older than her brother. and They're supposed to be in college. And that's the funny thing is that they're both in college without any explanation. What, so what are they? Are they twins? Are they a year apart? Is she like a sophomore or a junior and he's a freshman? I don't know. But when they drive to school, she drops off. Danny goes to school on his own. When they drive to school in a convertible, he doesn't sit with his seatbelt on in the back seat. He rides on the top of the trunk like a, like a friggin' loser, you know, like just like a, what a, what a, what a goofball, man. Just like really, really dangerous. Um, we then see Paul Rudd, Tommy Doyle. He's using a reel to reel audio machine and it's very, very antiquated and very unpractical for the purpose of listening back to something that, you know, frankly could have been taped off the radio with a tape cassette. So it just, I guess it was in there for cinematic effect. He's kind of like a conspiracy. Tommy Doyle in this one is kind of like a conspiracy nut. He wears the classic like um, uh, fringe guy who's kind of on the edge uh, ensemble of, of army jacket green. He's wearing an army jacket with the waffle shirt. Whenever you see a waffle shirt and an army jacket, you know that the person is unhinged or a conspiracy nut or a militia guy or something. So we get that kind of, he's wearing the, you know, he's wearing uh, Doc Martin boots. So we kind of get that kind of vibe. And he lives in this boarding house with Mrs. Blanket Chip or whatever her name is. And she's, she's in, a, she's from that Tales from the Crypt episode, uh, Collection Complete, where she taxidermies her husband. She, I, th I wonder if that was her last film. She was very old in 1995 for that film. But he's using a reel-to-reel. -reel. It's very impractical. And he keeps listening back, and we hear... Because Jamie, she calls into the radio sh sh show that's talking about Michael Myers at the beginning when she escapes. She feels that the only way that she can ask for help... She doesn't go to the police. She doesn't go to anybody else. She calls the radio station and be like, I have a baby. And when he hears that, that she has a baby, he goes down to the bus station. He's, like, investigating. He follows a trail of blood that nobody seemed to notice. Only Paul Rudd seemed to notice. And he finds a baby and then happens to realize that this must be Jamie's baby, right? And which is, what's really ridiculous is, coincidentally, this baby is the grandnephew of Michael Myers. It's the grandnephew of Michael Myers. That's where we are, where the center important piece is the grandnephew of Michael Myers. So then, you know, Loomis is in the film and he's super old and he walks with a cane. The, the, the fabulous, wonderful Donald Pleasance. This was his final film, by the way. And he, you know, he's investigating the crime scene where Jamie was murdered and they determined, they find like ambiotic fluid uh, probably in her body or whatever, determined that she gave birth 24 hours prior. So that baby is 24 hours old. I'm pretty sure it can't just be stashed underneath a bathroom, you know, a bathroom sink or whatever. But um, Loomis says he recognizes a mark and it's the mark of, of thorn. It's this thorn rune. It's a rune, R-U-N-E, which is part of an ancient Celtic-type alphabet-type thing. And it's the same symbol that we see at the beginning when they're doing the ritual, trying to link Michael Myers to this cult. So there's some sort of connection that's there. 
I mean, in the most, in literally a form of juxtaposition of showing one image one place and an image in another place to suggest that because these images are showing up in the same place, they must be related in some way, shape, or form. That's all we have to go on, right? Um, but Loomis recognizes the mark. He says, he, he despite the fact that he we have not seen this mark in four other Halloween films, Loomis is able to go, oh yeah, that's his mark and he's come home. I keep saying that. Michael Myers, he's coming home, coming home, yada, yada, yada. Because that's from the first movie, the night he came home. So then the 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 brother uncle, you know, he they're walking to they're walking home or something with Danny. It's Danny, Kara, and the brother. And they see this really messed up drawing that Danny did, because Danny's having dreams about Thorn, about this like this this figure that's dressed in a, a black duster, I guess. I don't even know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on. But he draws pictures of all of his family like dying, and Kara's really concerned. I think Kara's Kara's, I mean, uh, the brother's boyfriend uh, girlfriend is concerned. But the brother. He, he actually, this actually is a scene. This actually happens. And I read that this was, uh, that they did a test screening with 14-year-old boys. And I guarantee you, they were like, this needs more. They were trying to make it more relatable to 14-year-old boys to get better test scores. So the brother actually goes, huh, uh, huh, that's cool. I think it's cool. He actually is mimicking Butthead when seeing that his nephew has drawn his, the whole family dead which is soon to happen because the whole family dies. The whole family dies. I mean, they make this whole thing about the bloodline, you know? Um, it's just, it's ridiculous, man. And, you know, the, I have to say something about the Myers house. So here's here's what's kind of interesting. The Myers house, which doesn't look like any the house from the first one, they shot this in Salt Lake City. I guess this is kind of an iconic house or whatever because they used it a bunch or whatever. Um, it, it's like half... The yard is like trash. There's like a, a broken down truck with like equipment in it in the front yard. And then like the rest of the yard is sort of like decorated with Halloween stuff. Like who took the time, if you didn't take the time to clean up the, the broken down truck in your front yard, who's taking the time to decorate with all these pumpkins and stuff? I just thought that was so funny. I thought, in, I wrote it in my mind. I wrote that the mom really cares about Halloween. And even though the husband won't, the Mr. Strode won't call about, their names are John and Deborah Strode. Sorry, John, and they're named after Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. And, um... I just imagine that like she asked John Strode like a million times to like get that old clunker out of the front yard. And he's like, no, Deborah, damn it. I'm not going to do it. And so she like decorated with Halloween shit anyway, which is kind of a weird thing to do. You're living in the Myers house. There was murders here. Everything's connected to Michael Myers and the, the whole legend of Michael Myers and yada, yada, yada. Yet you live in this house. Your name is Strode and there's pumpkins everywhere. It's what what is going on, man? What the fuck is going on in this movie? Um, and then, you know, the mom is inside and then randomly, this happens, it's not the first time this happens, this happens later on. Randomly, Loomis just appears. He's just in the house. Un didn't knock on the door, didn't call. He's just sitting in a room and just randomly scares the mom. Uh, you know, another thing too, I kind of was hoping that Paul Rudd was going to be very Paul Ruddish, you know, like that, that, you know, uh, lovable Paul Rudd that we've all come to adore in all the films that he's in. I wanted that quality in this movie and we didn't get it. It's Paul Rudd's first like feature length film, you know, um, ahead of Clueless, right? Because they both came out in the same year and, you know, he's, he's like really trying to channel this character, but even still, you still get a little glimpse of 
Paul Rudd being the adorable Paul Rudd that he is, so I don't know. Um, Danny sees a dude in a duster, right? Like, there's this guy... <clears throat> I was eating popcorn. I have a kernel in my throat. Uh, you know, there's this guy in a black duster and a cowboy hat. Unexplained. Completely unexplained. And he's just mysterious. And I guess he's connected to Danny's dreams. They're putting a lot of emphasis on this kid, Danny. And none of it pays off. Like, Danny's kind of like the focus. But then the kid, the baby, is also like a MacGuffin. It's like a living, breathing baby MacGuffin that gets passed around too. Michael is after the MacGuffin because he wants to end his bloodline, because it has to do with a sacrifice. He has to kill his whole family or something. That's part of it, you know? That's part of, like, the the, the connection to the cult and whatnot. It is so convoluted. Um, and I wrote, you know, the Strode dad is out of it. Every time something creepy or goofy happens, like, he's completely oblivious to the fact that he lives in the Myers house or the history or the fact that he is the fucking adopted father of Michael Myers's Sister, if anybody should know how true and valid and real all this stuff is, you think it would be John Strode who would have been briefed on the real details. But instead, he's just a total, he's like, oh, what, you, you know, like, just, just so, like, like out of it. Um, and, and then, again, the pumpkin thing. There are so many pumpkins in the Myers house. They're just everywhere. They're strewn about everywhere. Who puts so many pumpkins in their house, let alone in the house of Michael Myers, right? Um, I noticed uh, Deborah Strode, she's rocking these really, really funky high tops, uh, high top sneakers before she's murdered. She gets she gets an ax to the face. And um, the daughter comes home. Here's the thing, mom is murdered, right? Daughter comes home. There's the how the lights are off. Nobody is ever suspicious of like nobody being home. Like this family is completely oblivious as it is slowly wiped out. Everybody dies except for Kara, right? So she comes home. Kara, her name's Kara, I don't even remember. She goes into her house and once again she finds Danny with Tommy in his room. And this is after he was peeping on her with a camera while she was in her underwear. And he's holding the grandbaby of her adopted sister. Think about that for a minute. Tommy has the grandchild of her adopted sister in her in his hands. She doesn't even realize that. She has never met Tommy. He's like, well, he was Danny was walking home by himself because Tommy sort of like intercepts Danny from dealing with the duster dude, the cowboy duster guy. It just... I don't know, man. Just really, really, really bananas. Um, I did notice that Tommy Doyle keeps a picture of Divine uh, on his fridge. The Divine in the movie Pink Flamingos, which I thought some set decorator probably just left that in there. A little Easter egg. I loved it. I also love the computer tech logic of 1995. Like, the way, like, people, like, interact with computers in 1995 is really fun. You know, there's no mouse. Like, mouses are not cinematic in movies. If you want, if you want, you don't, if you want to, like, make something happen on your computer, you don't do it with a mouse. You do it by typing a bunch of commands. And that's what Tommy Doyle does. And he's, like, looking at these runes, and he explains the runes a little bit more and how they're connected to constellations and blah, 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 blah. Dad comes home, and he's murdered. Um... He he's just like you know I keep as it, you know he's going through the house looking for everybody once again lights out the lights are always out at the Strode Meyer residence right and you know Michael Myers is just haunting his old house I guess 
He's like, hello, hello. He like holds up like a flashlight, like a goof, like he's doing like some sort of spooky seance thing. And it's like, dude, do you not remember what happened here? Like, again, history, dude. Like, what are you, an idiot? You know, I just like can't wait. There's so many unlikable characters that I can't wait to get, you know, their comeuppance. And they all do, man. And I'm really happy about it. I guess I was rooting for Michael Myers this whole time and I didn't even realize it. Um, but, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just so weird. He gets electrocuted, the dad, in the basement. And, of course, when you get electrocuted, it makes your head explode. Because, of course, we've got to have an exploding head. So the head explodes. Great. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Um, then they're having this, there's this big party, I guess. I don't know. It's like some, I don't know what the point is. The girlfriend of the brother, the the, the Strode brother, she's, like, on this whole trip about, like, you know, we have to... We, we have to take Haddonfield back, you know, from Michael Myers, you know. Um, you know, Michael Myers doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. So they're having this whole thing. And then they're using the radio station guy as, like, their platform for this, like, festival about, like, anti-Michael Myers or something. And she simply says this. And I'm probably going to get accused of being, like, a social justice warrior or whatever bullshit. It's just I'm approaching this from, like, a today's point of view. Imagine trying to do this scene in today's climate. That's what I mean when I say what I'm about to say. Because I understand that this is the 90s and that, like, this is just the way things used to be. But it's just kind of funny now because it's like, holy crap. Like, some of this stuff does not age well or would never work today. Following example, this friggin' asshole DJ guy. He's just such a dick. He's interviewing the girlfriend for some reason. I guess she's like the focal point organizer of this event for their college. I don't know. I'm just trying to, you know, connect dots here. She simply explains that there's no boogeyman. And then the radio guy doesn't acknowledge her. He turns to her dumb boyfriend, the, the Strode brother, and talks like she's not even there and publicly asks in front of all these people while they're on the air. He goes, boy, she must get riled up in the sack. Uh, she must wear crotchless panties and bark like a dog. And then implies that he wants to, asking the boyfriend for permission or acknowledging that he wants to get in the sack with her while she's standing right there. What the fuck? I just wrote in my notes, this was a different time. Um, and then upon learning, here's the thing, the boyfriend, the, 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 Meyer, the Strode brother, He's not even aware that he lives in the Myers house. It was never told to him. He's lived there for however long. And, you know, like, don't you think it would have been like, imagine if Lori was still alive. Jamie Lee Curtis, you're going to move into the Myers house that you're somehow in possession of for some weird reason? Freaking weird shit, man. Super weird shit. Um, but, you know, she, the girlfriend, she goes, yeah, it's the Myers house. I mean, it, it, you know, it was the house of Michael Myers. And the boyfriend's like, huh? It is? Like, he's just, like, completely oblivious. And Barry, the radio station guy, upon hearing this stuff live on the air in the middle of this event, invites himself and the rest into the private home of the Strode Myers family, or whatever you want to call it, the Strode house, to do a broadcasting segment right then and there. They're just going to, with no permission, based on its dark history, as if he was entitled with the authority to do so, so he like he's like, yeah, well, just head over there. Then he's talking to his agent and immediately murdered by Myers. Good, because I hate probably my most hated character was the was the radio DJ along with the father. And not because like obviously they're like sleazy guys who did like really gross shit, but like they're just hateable people. I mean, really detest these characters. 
Um, then they go to the Myers house, you know, the boyfriend and the girlfriend. They go to meet the radio guy who's now dead because he was murdered by Michael Myers. They go there unsure if he's even going to show up. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's so crazy. Then the baby just suddenly disappears. Tommy loses sight of the baby. We have no idea who took the baby. He's like, where's the baby? They don't know, right? Um, we find out that Loomis's colleague was the head of the cult the whole time. And apparently he's a character from the first film. And I didn't realize this. They just recast the guy. And uh, apparently so was the babysitter. The babysitter, or sorry, the um, the um, the the woman, Mrs. Handbrake or whatever, handle handlestick, whatever. The 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 one that runs the boarding house. She used to babysit Michael Myers, and like connects all the dots. She's like, Danny is hearing voices the way Michael heard voices. Has something to do with being possessed by an evil spirit, and they need to commit sacrifices. If they sacrifice a whole family, then everybody else is safe from evil spirits. That's basically what it comes down to, and it's ridiculous. And she's in on the cult as well, and she she's the one who takes the baby. And then Kara, the mother of Danny, for no reason at all, you know, everybody's in the hands of the cult of Thorn, right? Tommy, Loomis, and Kara, with no reason at all, for no, completely unprompt to do so throws herself through a window, out a second story, just throws herself out the window, survives, but th just like throws herself out the window. I just like could not believe what I was seeing. And then it like fades to black and it fades back up. And, and suddenly, you know, Tommy and Loomis are standing in the front yard wondering where Kara went and, you know, basically telling everybody, you know, Tommy goes, were we drugged? And Loomis goes, yeah, we were drugged. Like, it's just so bad. Like, it literally seems like they were just writing this on the fly, on the spot as it's happening. I cannot believe what I am seeing. Uh, they make it, they but they know where they're going. They're going to the the, inst the mental institution where, where Myers was for his whole life, because that's where the cult is, right? Loomis pulls out a gun, and Tommy magically somehow knows now that a gun won't stop Michael. Michael is invincible, and he's got super strength now, because he's, you know, part of this cult thing. I don't know. Um, you know, as I just said, when the guy, the, his colleague, Loomis's colleague turned out to be the head of the cult or whatever, was there, you know, sort of kidnapping the baby and he's like dressed in the duster, right? He turns out to be the man in the duster and the cowboy hat. Well, now they're at the abandoned asylum and there he is just doing paperwork. And it's like, as if he, as if he hadn't just been the, in the Myers house dressed in a du duster kidnapping uh, the baby and Kara and whatnot. And Kara is taken for some unknown reason. She's kept in a, in a uh, behind bars downstairs somewhere, somewhere where Jamie was clearly at the beginning of the thing. Um, Loomis, Loomis shows up and, and he's got the gun and he's trying to threaten Wynn. And Wynn is like, basically like, join me. But he doesn't say what to join him for. Like, he doesn't tell him what his purpose is or why they're doing what they're doing. He just says, join me. And before Loomis can even answer, a dude comes up behind Loomis and just knocks him out. And, and Wins goes, yeah, let's let him think about it. Think about what? What are we supposed to think about? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what you were offering. We don't know. And then there's just this random woman with blackened teeth who was freshly murdered. She's got like a, a wound in her gut, collapses with no explanation. Um, 
I just, I don't know. Then Tommy, he helps Kara escape. He shows, he's also there with, with Loomis and at this facility. Um, and Myers grabs hold of Kara and Tommy just turns and there's a grenade launcher on the wall. There's just a random ass grenade launcher on the fucking wall. There's like a wall full of weapons in this sanitarium place. He takes the grenade punch, the grenade launcher, and launches it at Michael Myers, who falls back, but of course, because Michael is invincible, gets right back up. I don't understand why. Then they're looking to rescue Danny and the baby, right? Uh, and we see that Wynn is going to perform surgery in an unnecessarily red scrubs, okay? He just gets done telling a dude who's wearing like the thorn, the curse, the cult robes. He says, it's not Halloween anymore. Get out of those robes. And then shows up in a red surgical smock, which is so unpractical. I feel like they're all aquamarine. I know in the movie, um, what's it called? With uh, Jeremy Irons playing the twins, the uh, David Cronenberg film. Uh, God, it's gonna bother me. What is the name? It's on the tip of my tongue. God damn it, what is the name of that movie? They're wearing red surgical scrubs, but that's David Cronenberg, man. I don't know. He's just wearing like this really theatrical red, uh, Dead Ringers. It's called Dead Ringers. He's wearing these unnecessarily red scrubs. Ridiculous, man. And, you know, there's no association really between the cult and Michael at all. Michael's just wandering around the sanitarium. It's like they know he's there, but like they don't, what, for whatever reason, there's like just no interactivity between the two of them. And then Michael, he finds a machete in this sanitarium, this abandoned hospital or whatever, and he kills everybody in the emergency, in the operating room. We don't know why they're doing an operation. It's never explained. He murders everybody, right? Um, and then we see some like DNA signs on the wall, like that showing like DNA things, probably like, you know, ripped directly from Jurassic Park, which had come out two years earlier about like using DNA. And I asked myself, are they trying to make Michael Myers super soldiers? I don't know. Um, once again, Michael Myers falls for the fake baby trick as Tommy hides a bundle of syringes full of green goo, uh, disguises it as a baby, and then when he gets really close to Michael, he just stabs him with all the syringes. We don't know what's in the syringes. It, we don't know why he's stabbing with the syringes. They, they're trying to, they're trying to, you know, trap him, and they just keep injecting him with this green stuff. Then Loomis, who had been previously knocked out, completely knocked out, uh, suddenly shows up out of nowhere, uh, and he's shooting locks. He's shooting lo the locks to open doors. Tommy beats the crap out of Michael with a pipe. There's I, At this point, there's five minutes left with credits, right? Uh, green goo starts leaking out of Myers' masks. Then everything ends, and they're outside in a red Jeep, and we have no idea where the red Jeep comes from. Loomis is standing there, and uh, the, Danny, who, whose purpose is never revealed. We don't know what, like what Danny's connection to Michael was going to be or whatever. They're just all, they're in the Jeep and they're like, they'd say, Loomis, come with us. As if they're all going to run away and just live merrily, happily ever after together. Why are they on the run? Who are they on the run from? The, the cult who's all murdered by Michael? I don't know. But Loomis goes... I can't because I have a little of business to attend to around here. And then the next thing we see is Loomis laughing hysterically, like cackling into screaming. We don't see him. We just hear him. And we see Michael's mask and the syringe, but no Michael Myers. And then immediately credits. And there it says, in memory of Donald Pleasance. What a note to go out on. So I learned, again, after reading about the film, that what happened was 
they shot the movie. That's the producer's cut. Or they 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 did a producer's cut. It test, didn't test the way that they wanted to. So they went back and did reshoots and re-edited the film. And that's what we got. That's what we got. However, they were also sort of like writing scenes on the fly because the producer and the director, the director didn't give a shit about doing Halloween movies and the producer and the director weren't getting along. It was just a giant fucking clusterfuck. The fact that there's a movie in here somewhere, period, at all, like any kind of movie, narrative, functioning narrative or not, is a miracle. It's a miracle that this thing exists. And um, my uh, Donald Pleasance died before they could do the reshoots. So that's why Donald Pleasance is in it the way that he's in it. They just, they weren't able to do any reshoots with Donald Pleasance. And this is what we wind up, wound up with. So I do want to see the producer's cut at some point. Everybody says the producer's cut is much better, but it's still a bad film. In any case, this is probably is by far the worst Michael Myers movie. At least the other ones, which are very sort of like bland to me, four and five are very bland. At least they like, they, you know, are movies. Like this is not a movie. Like it is a movie, but it's not a movie. Like it just, the entire film doesn't make any sense at all. Um, by far the, the worst film that I've seen thus far. I mean, all the films I've watched pretty much have been good in some way, shape or form and quality. This is the first film that I've seen. That's just utter garbage and not in a way that's loving and endearing. Well, yeah, maybe actually, if you like with a bunch of friends and you have pizza and Coca-Cola and you're laughing at the screen and laughing at what's going on, I guess you could have a good time. I could definitely see myself re-watching this with a group of people and just hate watching the fuck out of it. Uh, but never would I ever revisit this theatrical cut by myself with the interest of, of wanting to revisit this film. I just never would want to do it. Oh my God, I can't believe I talked about this for nearly 40 minutes. Um, on to the next movie. I'll see you guys real soon.